One of the interesting things we find as we read and study God's Word is God does not usually respond in a way we think He ought to. He chooses individuals that we may have had some concerns about. If you go back and read earlier about the selection of Saul to be king, to see his attitude before becoming king and then his attitude afterwards. And then you go on and read about Saul being told that he would no longer be king and that God was going to choose a man after his own heart. And then you read about Samuel and his crying about Saul being removed from being king, thinking that they had rejected him rather than the people really rejecting God. And the Lord told Samuel to go down to the house of Jesse to anoint a king. And it's interesting that as you read the account of this selection of David who was going to be a king after God's own heart. To read on, if you will, we're not going to do it this morning, but I encourage you to spend some time reading 1 Samuel 16 through chapter 24. Chapter 16 through chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. It's interesting to see a characteristic of David that may not stand out as you read the accounts of his being selected. The main characteristic that we're considering is this is a man after God's own heart. We know from the selection of his being king and being king, he made some mistakes. He repented of them, returned to God, and God restored him to favor again. But this thought of being a man after God's own heart is an interesting one. That as he goes down, or Samuel goes down to the house of Jesse to make a selection. And the sons of Jesse are brought before Samuel. Where's David? He's out tending the sheep. He's doing a job that he was assigned to do. And as you read on through those chapters that I mentioned you will see on numerous occasions when King Saul is asking for David. Where is David? He's out tending the sheep. He's doing his job. He's already been anointed to be king of Israel. But that had not has not gone to his head. 
He can still do the job that he was given until the time would arrive when he would be given a new job. This is somewhat of a characteristic of one who's after God's own heart. A promotion may be there, but until the promotion is granted, the job is still to be done. And it may be it may not be a glamorous job, but it was a job that was assigned. And it was a job that David would fulfill. You can read of his life as he would go on in the confrontation with Goliath. And it's always interesting, again, as David does what is asked of him. But David also does not take on more than he can deal with, if you will. Saul wants to give him the armor that he has. David says, cannot do that. I'm not prepared for this. This is not going to fit me. I'm going to use what God has given to me. And this man, after God's own heart, would confront often uh, many of the soldiers of King Saul who were afraid of Goliath. The soldiers would talk about Goliath bringing shame upon Israel. David thought was. He's bringing shame upon the living God. Not just the people. The confrontation was against God. He's a man after God's own heart. What happens in the world in which he lived is a direct action from the hand of God. Has that changed? God still uses his people. And God still expects his people to have this heart that would be like the master's. Where he says, I came to what? I came to serve, not to be served. This is a characteristic that you would see throughout the life of David. And all his confrontation with Saul, his relationship with Jonathan, there was never a place of arrogance, never an opportunity of trying to climb the ladder of success. It was allowing God to do the movements within his life. Reminded in 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14 again, that I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And that's the key. To have the heart of God is simply to do the will of God. All. It's what God has done for us, is it not? He has done His will towards us. He has made the provisions that are necessary for us and the care and the watch upon us, providing for us 
in ways that we do not see or really comprehend or understand why God has chosen to work the way that he has. David's thought and David's heart was to serve exactly where he was and to allow God to do the movements. He did not take matters into his own hand. Even as Saul sought David's life. And on occasions when David had the opportunity to have the advantage over Saul, David always respected the order that God had given. I cannot raise my hand against whom? God's anointed. Cannot take advantage of that. He is God's anointed. God will take care of that issue. And so he spared Saul's life on several, several occasions. But all the way through, as you read about David, the humbleness in which he served, the attitude which is expressed, we're not given a lot of the whys. It would be interesting to understand the why. Why, when Samuel goes down to Jesse's house, and the reason is given, and the sons are brought before Samuel, why was not David included? We're not going to be told that, outside the fact that he was tending the sheep. He was doing the job that he was given. When told to go check on his brother, he did the job that he was told to do. He, regardless of the task, regardless of where it seemed, he was willing to do the job that was given. Well, I don't like this job. I want a job with a little more prestige. I want a job with a little more recognition. A man after God's own heart indeed will be like the master. You look over in Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11. You read about Jesus. Not thinking equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to. Listen to the words. This is why David is a man, <coughs> excuse me, a man after God's own heart. This heart of the master. <coughs> that equality with God was not something to be held on to. But Jesus was willing to empty himself. Something we wrestle with. I don't know about you, but just that concept of eternal God freely choosing to become a human being. Because of his love for mankind. And to do it. He was willing to empty himself to take on that form of a servant. This is David as well. He emptied himself. He just wanted to be a servant. However God chose to use him was what David was going to do. That's why he is called a man 
after God's own heart. David would write a number of the Psalms. And a lot of the Psalms would express some of the characteristics of David that are reminders to us of an attitude that we ought to have as well within our life. Go over to Psalm 119. Flip around there a little bit, but Psalm 119. Down at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That's a heart that David had. Is that a heart that we have? For David, it was indeed the old law. For us, it is to be the Word of God from Genesis through Revelation. But is there a love, not a obligation, but a love for the Word of God? So much so that it is our meditation all the day long what we think about, what we meditate on, what we dwell on. It it, it affects what we say. It affects what we do. It affects how we think. It affects the, excuse me, the attitudes that we express by our physical presence and the expressions that we, we give. Is it reflective of our love for God? Go back to verse 47 of Psalm 119. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statues that he found great delight in God's word it is food for the soul it's what gives direction for the life it's what gives hope for eternal life as it's word we meditate upon is it our desire to fulfill that within a life that we live. His word protects us. Go back to verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Have we hidden his word? Do we have such a love and such a desire for knowing and understanding what God wants from us? That we've hidden his word in our heart so that we not sin against him. Sin is an action of the mind. It's a decision that we make that we act upon. It's a result of what we put there or allowed to be there. That we put God's word there so that it will protect us from 
that evil thought. That we do not allow it to have room to be there. You've heard me say it's not wrong for the bird of temptation to fly through your mind. It's wrong for you to allow him to stop and to build a nest there in your mind. Pass it on through. It will protect you that I might not sin against God. Verse 50. It is my comfort in my affliction. Your word has given me life. We sometimes have the impression that as a child of God, we're not going to be afflicted. And we think it's strange when it happens. How can this happen when we love God? How can this happen when we want to serve Him? That we're being persecuted, we're being pressed on every side. Read God's Word. We can draw comfort from it. That it gives life. When I read when I'm afflicted, when I read what Jesus went through when he was afflicted, again read Matthew 26 and the parallel accounts in the other Gospels of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Does that ever touch your heart? Agonizing to the point of death. Sweat like drops of blood. Laying prostrate on the ground. Face down on the ground. Crying out to his father. If it be your will, find another way. But also understanding, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then to be able to rise from that agony and to be able to say with calmness in his voice, Behold, my betrayer is at hand. Let us go. And he goes to the cross. Have I been afflicted any worse than that? Have I even come close to that in my life? I can draw comfort from the scriptures. Read about the life of Paul, the persecution that he went through, the suffering he went through, the agony that he went through, the beatings that he endured. And he counts it for loss, for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Can I put it in perspective? It's hard at times because, again, I have flesh and blood. I have feelings that the body will reflect upon. But it's only the body, the physical body. And it's going to end anyway. It's going to be like Paul. I count it for loss. I count it for rubbish. Whatever it was I've gone through, whatever it is that I've achieved in my life, it's all rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what makes the difference. I draw that from the scriptures. And David, as he writes many of these psalms, is doing the same thing. He's been inspired by God as he writes to preserve this relationship that he had with God to instill within us a similar type of relationship. 
take the time to draw the strength that we have so that we can face the trials that lie before us within our life. Go down to verse 165 of Psalm 119. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. You have peace because of the word of God. You have peace that David had. He was being pursued by King Saul. Yet he had peace. Do we have that peace? Great peace have those who love your law. You ever have a love for God and his word? Is that your meditation all the day long? If it is, then you have peace. Because then I understand God, and I know, but I oftentimes forget, that I understand that God is in control. He knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly what I'm going through. He knows exactly what my strength is. He knows exactly what my weakness is. And if I take a love for his word, I find how I can find that safety that I need. Put on that whole armor of God so that you be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. Do not give him a foothold in your life. It's been said of the devil, if you give him an inch, he'll become a ruler. If you give him anything, he wants to rule the life. Hide the word of God in your heart. Let it be your meditation all the day long. And when it is, as you face the trials, you deal with them, you make the petition for God. The Hebrew writer reminds us in Hebrews 4 and verse 15, that I can boldly approach the throne of grace and receive mercy in the time of need. I always want the mercy before I need it, okay? I don't know about you. I want the safety now. But it says, in the time of need, in the time when it's needed, I can boldly go before the throne of grace and I can receive what I need. God, you're still there. You have not abandoned me. You have not forsaken me. You're very much aware of where I am. You're very much aware of what I'm going through. And you can give me what I need to face this situation. There's confidence in there. There's security there. There's walking, that's David, to be a man after God's own heart. To have that love, that devotion, that commitment to God, that desire to be with him. Jesus loved that word of God. Again, you go back and you read Matthew 4, 1 through 10. Read about the temptation. Being reminded that as Jesus faced his temptations, he faced the same temptations that we face. And he used the same weapon that we have. With every temptation... Jesus' response was, 
it is written. And when, the, when Satan misquoted scripture to Jesus, Jesus' response, it is also written. One verse does not contradict another. The scriptures do harmonize with each other. If I'm being for God, why am I being persecuted? Well, the scripture says they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. So why do I think it's strange when it happens? I have what I need. Will I use what I have? That's the question. Will I use what I have? We have been so richly blessed and having access, free access to the Word of God, that we can draw strength from it at any time that we need. And if we have that hunger and that thirst for it, it also gives us guidance through our lives. There are some things as we read God's Word that says, no. You do not need to go that way. It does not bring what they say it's going to bring. And really, God's word says that. But really all you have to do is look in the world and see that that's true. All of the things that the world says we need, all of the things that the world says we need to have free access to, and that they all will enrich our lives, are all now being shown and will continue to be shown that they bring destruction. Smoking, alcohol, drugs, vaping, whatever else is out there, all of that brings destruction. Does not bring what they promise that it will bring. Well, the Word of God already tells me that. It's all in vain, this world. We're just passing through. We're headed for heaven. That's our goal. That's our desire. That is indeed what we want to do. Going back to the first psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. <clears throat> but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. <clears throat> Understand the biblical word for prospering, the right relationship with God. We want to take prospering financially, but that's not always what it means. But where is your delight? David's delight within the word of God and as his delight within the word of God, he is described as a man after God's own heart. 
Is that description applicable to you this morning? That you can be described as a person who is after God's own heart by your delight in the Word of God, by your commitment to His Word and the life that you live. The imitation song is the footprints of Jesus. The question is, are you walking in them? Are you walking in the footprints of Jesus? Making the sacrifice for him in order one day to be rewarded by him with eternity in heaven. You look at your life. Maybe there may be one here who's not yet a child of God who understands that sin separates you from God and will separate you eternally if not repented of. But that you can repent of those sins, that you can confess that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of the living God. You can obey him in baptism for the remission of those sins, to be raised to walk a new life. For as a child of God, if you've let the world creep back in, come home, come back to the Father. If we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.